Message two on destiny, a calling greater than ourselves. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And we're going to share with each other verses 13 through 18. Because the writer here has captured, I believe with the guidance of God, he's captured how God intends to build the destiny into our lives from the time that we were created. Can you say amen? Say, I don't know yet if I can say amen, brother. I haven't seen it in the Word. That's okay with me, all right? Message to destiny, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. The writer says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. I was not being made in secret. How many of you know that you weren't being made in secret? Amen. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. I'm going to ask you again, do you think God loved the writer of this psalm more than he loves you? Do you think he did less for you than he did for this writer? No. He loves you. He formed you the same way. All right. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Aren't you glad that you don't go to bed at night and wake up the next morning and have to find God all over again? This sermon's going to help you as Christians understand that God has uniquely designed you as his masterpiece to do good works. That's our whole purpose for being here, whether you know that or not. Now, I, once again, I'm going to reiterate. You're probably, you know, one of those people, maybe you're one of those people that's going through all kinds of complications, you know. But I was sharing part of this message with the people that were sitting at my house this weekend because they needed to know that God and the sum of what he was doing was more important than all of the problems they were facing rolled in together. God has a destiny for them. And, you know, I, I told this man in this relationship, how many crises have you faced in your life that is in leadership position you had to deal with? Uh, how many? I mean, we've lost count. And I said, did you feel the stress and the weight of it every time you were going through those things? Yes, I felt the weight and the stress. I said, do you feel the weight and the stress now? Yes, I do. I said, does God love you? Yes, I'm convinced that God loves me. I said, how many of those situations that you went through did God not bring you through? That God didn't have the answer. That God didn't make a way. And you spend all of that time worried, stressful. You didn't get sleep. And the outcome was still the same. God saw you through it. He gave you the victory. He didn't let you down. He did not fail you. Why do we waste so much time in our life focusing on anything but the life that God has provided for us? 
And I'll go further. I don't mean to hurt your feelings or nothing, but what a slap in the face of God it must be. Every time we come back around Mount Sinai again, facing the same kind of situation we were facing before, and react identically to the way we did last time. Guess what? If you don't learn in that class, you're going to get to go back. You're going to get a chance to make that score again. <laughs> right? All right. Listen to, the, to me carefully. <clears throat> Ruthie, Ruthie was born with the shopping gene, and she loves to shop, you know. And, and, and she loves that she sees things. Oh, you know, and I love her. I, I know. Yeah. A, a chip off the old block right there, right? I don't have to be afraid of anything I'm saying, okay? I'm, by the way, your, your pastor's wife had a birthday while she was gone. And she's working her way back to us right now. And what I'm about to share with you as an example still lives on, right? In my kitchen, you can stand there and look at things that Ruthie has put on the countertop, all right? She shopped for these things. She wanted them, and I love her. And I said, go get them, baby. She didn't need my permission. You know what I'm saying? She's got a job, you know. But I support her. You get my drift, right? Right there on my right, over my right shoulder this morning, I said, yeah, God, I see this. You're reinforcing the points of my message. There's one of those funky D, little black, slow-cooking things that cooks things fast. Yay, an Instapot, right? All right, there's an Instapot there. And it cooks food a certain way, right? Right next to it is a blender, you know, one of them fancy blenders that would grind up an oak log. You know what I'm saying? But it has a purpose. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And next to it is a little scale. If she wants to measure things, she can measure them on that little fancy scale, but it can't do what the blender does, and it can't do what the Instapot does, right? And then if the Instapot, I said to Ruthie, well, don't you, don't you, aren't you able to cook the recipes you used to cook, slow cook style, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and I said, but over there you bought a slow cooker. What do you got? What do you, well, it does something different. I don't know what it does different. I don't know, you know. But do you understand what I'm saying? That men, mankind has created all of these different appliances that serve different purposes and get the job they get done differently than all the other appliances do. Are you following with me now? then why is it so hard for us to believe that our Father in Heaven couldn't create every one of His children with purposes, with responsibilities, with things that we shall produce that others don't produce, but, and, and we have gifts and talents that God has given us. He's formed us in the womb, right? And, and He has produced within us the things that we can use to get done what He wants us to get done for His glory, and for his purposes. Now, that's a broad example, but are you following? You're following with me, what I'm saying? Listen to this. And here's what I wrote. If men can do that with machines and design them to fulfill designated purpose, God can craft people for unique purposes that will bring him glory, bring others good, and advance his kingdom because that's what we were created for. That's what we were created for. And we can get those things done in the ways that God wants you to get them done. You can do things I can't do. Amen?
Point number one, God has uniquely designed you for a destiny. God has woven you together in intricately and uniquely uh, to bring him glory. Think about this now. To bring him glory, to bless others, and expand his kingdom. I'm using phrases, specific phrases, to let you know these are the parameters. These are what God wants. You say, oh, I'm not like you, Brother Dennis. I couldn't pastor a church. He didn't call you to pastor a church. Amen. He called me to pastor a church, right? He, but I can tell you that these three things, in one way or another, were all used by God. One, to bring him glory. That's a purpose we're created for, to bring him glory. To bless others. Why? Don't you think that Jesus was a blessing to others? Amen? And to expand his kingdom. That's why I'm constantly looking for what God wants us to do next. Because if the direction of the church is not moving in ways that expand the kingdom, we haven't quite got our hands in the right plow yet. But that's okay because we want that, don't we? God's not going to say, I I know you want to do that, but you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. No. God's looking for people who want to be used by him to expand the kingdom. Can you say amen? Amen. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, it says this, For you are formed... For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. That's something. Words are very important. I know, do you know that very well? Because if you don't know that very well, you're going to live your life without purpose. And I can't tell you the millions of people in this world, maybe even billions, that are living their life without purpose. When I read this passage of Scripture, I learn more about the worth I have before God. It's very important to know. Yeah, on the one hand, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. But the other side of the coin is, listen, have you ever sold a home before? Anybody ever sold a home? I mean, you've sold a home before. Have you ever met anybody that wanted to sell a home? And they said, I'm going to sell my home for X number of dollars. They had an idea that their home was worth that value. And how do you know whether it's worth that value or not? You have a place of value on your home. Someone shows up and says, I like the home. I agree. It's worth it. I'll give you 5000 less. But, but what, the point I'm trying to make is, what if no one comes to see the house? What have you done? You've overvalued your home in your own eyes. You see what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, if you get a hold of the value God has placed in your lives, others will see it. They will see it. They will know. All right? Too many Christians believe, listen to this. This is, this is so important because when this came to me, how many of you ever been, you've been in Walmart shopping for clothes. If you've got the shopping gene, you've been there. You've done that. You shop for clothes at Walmart, J.C. Penney's. Coles and some stores I've never even been to before. I don't know what they are. But, but you know, a lot of these places like Walmart and JCPenney's and all, how many of they mass produce their clothes? All right, here's what I wrote. Too many Christians believe that they're off-the-shelf people. When we walk into a clothing store, we can choose from a number of shirts, belts, dresses, and pairs of shoes. But before those clothing items made it to the store shelf, 
They were mass-produced in a large factory, likely with little attention to each individual shirt, belt, or sock. But God does not produce off-the-shelf people. Each person has been custom-designed by a loving and sovereign God. Think about that now. The fact that each person's fingerprints are completely unique proves that God doesn't mass-produce people. He doesn't. You've been individually formed by the hands of a sovereign God. Now let's start living with an awareness. God has a plan for each person that he has uniquely crafted. I want you to get a hold of this. Because if you don't get a hold of this, you're going to be like all of those masses of people out there that are living without purpose. Living without purpose. Point number two. Oh, how powerful this is. God created you as a masterpiece to do good works. And I can prove it to you. I can prove this to you. Listen to this. God has designed you as a masterpiece. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, turn there. You've got to see this. You've got to see this with your own eyes. Because I looked at this passage of Scripture, and then I began to dig a little bit. I wanted to know what the words meant. How many of you know that's important? Sometimes if you don't know what words mean, you don't get the grip of it. It's like the word hallelujah. We were talking about that. Eunice, just before the service. Hallelujah is the only word, Hebrew word in the world that's never been translated into another language. It is a Hebrew word that everyone in the world who speaks it, speaks it in Hebrew. I think that's powerful. And, and you know what it means? Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. And you're saying it in Hebrew when you say hallelujah. Russians, if they're in Russian church and they say hallelujah, guess what it sounds like? Hallelujah. Right? All right. Now, watch this with me. Because words are so important. Right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has designed us as a masterpiece. I said that. In Ephesians 2.10, I looked up the word workmanship, and what does it mean? Somebody spit it out. Anybody got it? For we are his masterpiece. That's what the English word workmanship, coming from the original, it is the same word they use for. So, for we are his masterpiece. I'm not lying to you. I'm not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. I, you understand what I'm saying? Look, 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 maybe you had a rough morning, right? Uh, maybe maybe th you're facing some things, some tough things in your life right now, but it didn't change the fact that when you woke up, you're, you're God's masterpiece. No matter how painful the things are that are going through in your life and how much they cloud your heart, you're a masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. The title masterpiece is reserved, listen to this carefully, this is a definition. The title masterpiece is reserved for the most glorious example of a certain art form, such as a poem, a painting, a sculpture, or a piece of music. Masterpieces are also known as such because of the skill and expertise of their creator. God has prepared Good works for you to do. Here's masterpiece. The good works that God has prepared 
for you are the biblically authorized activities that bring God glory and benefit others. I'm going to read that again. The good works God has prepared for you are the biblically authorized activities that bring God glory and benefit others. I, I've never known anyone that didn't, when they obeyed God, wanting a blessing to everybody in the circle in their sphere of influence. You know, people that are pleasing God, that are operating their lives in the will of God, they're, they're good to hang out with. You, you understand that? As you walk in the path of good works that God's laid out for you, you will fulfill your destiny. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. You've got to read this one with me. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, the, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Notice that over and over again. It's not about us living our lives as Christians. It's about us giving glory to God. It's all about God's glory. Amen? We've discussed that so many times. So verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In order for you to be the masterpiece of God that he wants you to be, he has to change you. Really, in reality, he's got to sanctify you. There's a lot of confusion in the world about that, but I don't know, it's not confusing to me. I, I can tell you right now, I couldn't be your pastor if God wasn't changing me. You know? You know, otherwise, I'll tell you this. If I'm going to preach like this, then I'm going to I'm gonna have to make sure things are right. Hello? Hello? You, 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 you traveling with me here? You know? All right? God will continue shaping and molding you as his masterpiece over the course of your entire life. The church works best when all the masterpieces function as they were designed to function. You know, we could go on being, you know, I'm, I'm having fun. I mean, you know, we've got enough money to do what we need to do. We're paying the bills. I mean, we're... You know, I, I come together, 35, 40 happy people, and we love the Word. We enjoy. You know, this, isn't, this isn't all. This isn't the do-all to end-all. There are the purposes of God that we must fulfill in the body of Christ, and we're just getting ready for it. Amen? That's what Monday night and Wednesday morning is about. We're being discipled in the Word. Amen? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Before I read that, I'm, I'm glad you're going there, but I want to share something with you. You know, when I showed up at the police academy in Sitka, Alaska, the commander of the academy came in, and, and we had our first lesson, our first class in excellence in law enforcement. That's what the class was. And he began to share with us where we were at that day as new students at the academy. He said, you're going to need to learn the process that you're going to be going through the academy. He said, right now, you're stupid. You don't know anything. <laughs> what he said was, you don't know how to be a cop. You don't know what you're doing, but you don't yet know you don't know what you're doing. 
So I'm going to tell you that you are unconsciously incompetent. <laughs> I'm going, wow, I love this class. <laughs> you know? So what he told me was I don't know what I'm doing, and, but I don't know that I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm not aware of it, so I'm unconsciously incompetent, right? He said, you're going to be here in school, and you're going to move along. All of a sudden, you're going to start learning a few things. You're going to start becoming more competent, but you're not going to know it. <laughs> you're not going to know it yet. You'll move from unconsciously competent to unconsciously competent. Unconsciously incompetent to consciously competent. You're going to know a few things. You're going to learn a few things. But, you, you know, once you've learned, you don't know anything. It's real hard to move you from there to the next step. Isn't that like a lot of Christians? They get saved. They're so excited. They want to dive off. I want to dive into the deep end. Where is the deep end? Show me the deep end. They don't even know where the deep end is. <laughs> you know, I've read the Bible. It says iron sharpens iron. Find me some iron. They don't know where the iron is. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? They don't know what they're doing, but they don't know that they don't know what they're doing. Right? That's why you got to have a teacher. And God said to Philip, how can I know salvation if I don't have a teacher? Right? He said, later, you'll start learning some things, and you'll, you'll know a few things, and you'll become aware that you know a few things. And, uh, and the goal is, one day in school here, we've run you through the mill. He said, and to tell you the truth, at first, we're going to try to run you off because if you can be run off, you shouldn't wear a badge and you shouldn't carry a gun, right? Don't you think the devil's going to try to run you off when you first get saved? The devil's going to try to run you off, right? And he wants to run you off before you learn that you have a purpose, right? Right? Before you learn that you're consciously competent as a child of God. The sad truth is there are, I don't know how many people running around out there that have been serving God for years, so to speak, but are still not competent. As your pastor, I don't want to pastor a church like that. I want to be responsible with God's help to feed you the Word of God in a way that shows you you are hungry, right? And that you, you want to know what the purposes of God for your life are. I can tell you, it boils right down to this. Somehow, some way, we've got to overcome the apprehension and fear that, that grips the lives of Christians that don't share the gospel. They're afraid to share the gospel. I, I have trouble understanding that, you know? Uh, I was down in Texas. I'm going to a convenience store. And when I'm there, you know, I run into this guy, and we get talk, I want to show him Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't get it right all the time. I'm not saying here telling you I've got this. I've got this nailed down. But I'm trying to tell you that all of us need to get past the apprehension because if you don't get any other purpose nailed down in your life, this one, sharing the gospel for his glory, that, that, that's premier. All right? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. To another, the same Spirit, according to the same Spirit. Uh, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And listen to this carefully because it boils down to even the gifts of the spirit. Very few people in the history of the world have had them all working through them. But I will tell you this, I know who they were. They were the apostles. The apostles, all of the gifts of the Spirit used the apostles were used, used the apostles. They used the apostles, not the apostles used them. Get it right. Why? Because verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills, not as you will. Don't make the mistake of saying, oh, I have this gift. No, you may be able to say, there is this gift that uses me the most often. This is the one that, that seems to be comfortable with using me the most often, right? Um, I will tell you this. It was not difficult for me to answer the call of God to pastor this church. And I'll tell you exactly how it happened. If I've never told you before, I don't think I have. You know, Pastor Greg says, Carl, is there any way you can come out of the office on Tuesday and see me? I need to talk with you. I said, sure. I can do that. Well, then Sam, I'm going, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on here? You know what I'm saying? You went, well, I want, what does he want, right? So I told my wife, Greg wants to talk to me. He wants me to come by the office on Tuesday. She goes, now my wife knows that this is what the Spirit does to me sometimes, right? She said, what's he going to tell you? What is she asking me? She's asking me, what has the Spirit told you? Because we've been married 43 years, right? And, and there, from time to time, the Holy Spirit just tells me something, right? So Monday rolls around. She goes, uh, do you know yet why Greg wants to see you? And so I could say, woman, don't bother me, right? <laughs> no, I, don't, I didn't do that. <laughs> I said, nope, I don't have any idea. Um, Monday afternoon, she said, do you know yet? why Greg wants to, to see you and what he wants to talk to you about. I spun around and I looked at her and I said, yes. He wants to tell me that God's leading him out of the church and he wants me and you to pray about pastoring the church. Ask God if God wants us you know, to move in that direction. So, then I knew. What is that called? That's a word of knowledge. You know, if it, no, no, let, no, let me be more accurate about that. Because this, now, no, don't, don't take this wrong. Um, there, there are overlapping things in the gifts of the Spirit, all right? But I can tell you what that was. It was a word of wisdom. And why was that? Why do I know it was a word of wisdom? It's a word of wisdom because only the future is wrapped up in the wisdom of God. He knows the future. He's the only one. So in his wisdom he shared a little piece of knowledge with me about the future. What Greg was going to say to me. Now, does it happen all the time? No. Man, I kind of wish it would. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, but it, it doesn't, it's rare, it, but it happens. It's a word of wisdom, right? A word of knowledge would have been something about something that was going on that maybe we didn't know about, but it, it's going on now. It's a word of knowledge. It's just, a, yeah, how many of you know it's not God dumping his knowledge on you? You couldn't handle that. But you can take a piece of it. You can take a little piece of it, right? He'll pour it out. Why am I saying all that to you? Because even with the gifts of the Spirit, we don't walk around being used by God in all of them. We walk around being used in some of them. And if you've never been used knowledgeably by 
by the Spirit of God in one of those gifts, you should get ready. Get ready. It's kind of, actually, it's kind of fun, you know? You know? Like that time I tried to lay hands on that woman, I tried to touch her shoulder, and God wouldn't let me touch her shoulder. He struck her with lightning, knocked me over, shot her straight up in the air. She was dying. She just landed in the parking lot, paralyzed from the neck down, crying, asking me to pray for her. I was going to pray for her. Now, at that time, God didn't let me touch her arm because he didn't want me to. He wanted to heal her without me having anything to do with it because I was 20-something years old, and I couldn't handle it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I'm going to lie to you. I'll tell you right now, you can be ruined. You, if you don't lean on the wisdom of God, you can be ruined. You, get, you start getting used by the Spirit of God. Here's the thing I'll warn you about. Don't let it go to your head. God can talk to a, a jackass. He can do anything through you. <laughs> if he can speak to a donkey, right? I don't know why I got off on that. Some people needed to hear it. Christians shouldn't spend time and effort trying to be someone else. You know, have you ever met anybody? You can lay hands on somebody, and all of a sudden, they give them a word, you know? Come from God, next thing you know, it came true. It either came true or it didn't come true. It either came from God or it didn't come from God. But do we not admire those people that God uses to speak through? It's like being an oracle of God. I mean, pretty powerful stuff, right? But you should not necessarily want to be identical to them. Why don't you just let the Spirit of God use you severally as he wills? and whatever gifts he wants to use you in, all right? You're unique. You don't have to be like me. You just have to be the person God wants you to be, the person he designed you to be. Third point, God wants you to know your worth and live as a masterpiece. God's masterpieces and their destinies are specially designed. God has only created one you. Therefore, you are rare and you are valuable. Amen? God's masterpiece always carries the name of their creator. Human masterpieces are also known by their, their creators. Have you ever heard of Handel's Messiah? Is it not a masterpiece? It's called Handel's Messiah. Have you ever heard of Michelangelo's David? It's a masterpiece, right? Have you ever heard of Bach's Fifth Symphony? It's a masterpiece, right? God protects his masterpieces because they have so much value to him. That's why we're valuable, even though we're nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody, we're valuable to him. Point number four, God wants his masterpieces to look like his son. This is a good point. God wants his masterpieces to look like his son. Why would you ever choose to iron a shirt? <laughs> you know what? I mean, you, you got to get iron. You got to get it hot. You got to have some steam. I'm telling you, ironing a shirt is hard work, right? When you iron a shirt that is wrinkled, you have to add steam and heat in order to get the wrinkles out. Pay attention to that. And why do we iron shirts and pants and dresses? Listen to me carefully. Because we want to look good when we wear them, Right? In the same way, God has put us through the fires of refinement to smooth out the rough places and correct our flaws. I'm not perfect, are you? Sometimes I feel like a piece of wood that God has whittled down to a toothpick. <laughs> you know? And I know that I am the only one, right? 
In the same way, God has put us through the fires of refinement to smooth out the rough places and correct our flaws. We, as God's masterpieces, bear our master's name and his image. And when we fulfill our God-ordained destinies, God wants others to see him through us. Do you get that? That's why he's always working on molding and shaping and forming us and refining us and teaching us his word and knocking off the rough edges and saying, take another trip around Mount Sinai. Forty years the children of Israel roamed around Mount Sinai. And every time they needed to learn a new lesson, he'd send them around again. I mean, you remember Ryan, young Ryan in the church here. Man, that young man could preach. And we were having a talk one day, and he was saying to me, oh, man, you, you really blessed my socks off when you were preaching. You said such and such. And I said to Ryan, man, that's great, but I didn't say that. Well, he said, if you didn't say it, that's what I got. I went, okay, you know, sounds really good. I wish I'd said it, right? So I said to him, I said, Ryan, you said something in a sermon one time that was revolutionary in my life, and I will never, I'll never forget it. And it was that message he preached about, you know, Jesus had been preaching all day, and then he said, let's go to the other side. And if you look at the Word of God, it says, they took him as he was. What does that mean? We mean take Jesus as he was. What, what does that mean, right? And the point of the message was that they took Jesus, the man they knew up to that point, knowing what they knew about him, put him in a boat and started heading the other side. Jesus is tired. He sleeps. He lays down. He goes to sleep. The storm comes, right? And they know. They know they're going to drown. You understand what I'm saying? What's Jesus doing sleeping down there like that? Doesn't he know we're perishing, you know? And, and why? Because there was something about Jesus they did not know, right? And I said, Ryan, I, you know, when you said that sometimes for Jesus to teach us things about him that we don't know, he has to take us places we don't want to go. Who would choose to get in a boat and go into a storm like that? And Ryan said, yeah, that's true. But I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say it. What am I trying to tell you? That's what I got out of the sermon that he preached. And what he got out of the sermon I preached, we're looking at each other saying, but we didn't say that. But we did. Do you understand what I'm saying? God works his miracles through our lives, teaches us the thing. You know, I'm speaking and there's... 30 people in the room, and some of you get many different things from what I'm saying, but it's what you need. It's not just me standing up here preaching. The teacher is in the room, and the helper that he is, and he's teaching you, and he's helping you, right? When we fulfill our God-ordained destinies, God wants others to see him through us. What an awesome privilege. So there's some takeaways. Number one, God crafts unique people for unique purposes that will bring him glory, bring others good, 
and expand and advance his kingdom, listen to this, in history. There are things we are doing in our lives, and if we'll obey God, we will do things that will affect history. If I'm correct in what I'm pursuing God for, I've always seen, even when the world was marching right to exact words of prophecy, there have been outbursts of the Holy Spirit around here, there. God still wants to bring revival to America, right? So what am I pursuing? Revival for America, right? Now, when God answers that prayer, and America has at least one more great awakening, it changes history. We can affect history. Number two, you're not an off-the-shelf saint. You've been custom-designed and uniquely made. You're different, right? Number three, God has so constructed your uniqueness that he wants his name attached to you. You, you. I'm not just preaching to me. He's not wanting to do it just for me. I'm not so, you know, honored and privileged that I'm the guy, right? No, it's all of his children, right? Okay, God has constructed your uniqueness that he wants, he wants his name attached to you right? Um, Number two, I'm going to read number two again. You're not an off-the-shelf saint. You've been custom-designed, uniquely made. Number three, God has so constructed your uniqueness that he wants you to, uh, he wants his name attached to you. Uh, Number four, you've got to hold your head up high and think of yourself no longer as ordinary because you have now been designated by your creator as extraordinary. I'm not any more special than you, you know? I used to try to go for the laugh, trying to be funny. And I'd say, God loves me. You know God loves me more than he loves you. No. And people would laugh, you know. And it's it's cute. And I I would tell people, no, you should should feel that way. You should understand that, that God allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And that it was your name that was on his lips when he died on the cross. Because it was. It was your name. If you think that he wasn't just as conscious of you when he died on that cross as he is everyone else in the world, you're mistaken. You do not understand your value. And you say, well, how could he do that? How could he have everybody, all the names? That's impossible. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you this. We're going to deviate here a little bit. Still early. We can do this. Twice in the last few days, I've heard a story that bothers me greatly. What happened when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? He said, he, he knelt before him. David talks about this, but there's a key phrase in Jews. What must I do to be saved? He said, what are the two greatest commandments? Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all, all of you, all your being, right? The second command is as great as the first. Love, love your neighbor as yourself, right? He said, he said, Rabbi, Master, I've done that from my youth. And Jesus knew it right? He said, just one more thing I would have you do. Go sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor, right? Give it to the poor. And he went away sad because he had great possessions, right? Now, what people miss, and what we're not getting out of that teaching from David is this, what the disciples got up in arms. So, you got to understand this. Not all of the disciples were poor. Not all of them were poor, Everybody thinks the disciples were poor. 
Those fishermen had multiple boats, and they fished, and they sold fish throughout the region. And when they left that, they left their boats, they dropped their nets, and they went after Jesus, but they weren't poor, and they weren't broke, right? That's why they got all up in arms and said, well, Jesus, Jesus, you know, was talking to them about it, and what did he say? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. That's why they responded the way they did. Well, then how can any of us be saved? Because they knew they weren't broke. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, you know, he had said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. And they said, well, then how can any of us be saved? What was Christ's answer? Anybody know? He said, with God, anything is possible. From my youth, I have heard excuses about that story. And what is the storyline that theologians have tossed out there? Anybody know what it is? That the eye of the needle was a hole in the wall in the city that was there that, you know, it was hard to get a camel through it. You had to get a camel on his knees and you had a rope and a harness you had to pull him through. How many of you know that if you can get a camel on his knees and drag his carcass through a hole in the wall, then it's, that's not impossible. Evidently, people were doing it, right? You listen to me carefully. Do you not allow the devil or the world to diminish that story? If God wants to pull a camel through an eye of a real live needle that I can't even get a piece of thread through. You understand what I'm saying? Our God can do it, right? Don't let people diminish the word of God in your life. Don't let them tell a story that explains what Jesus meant when he said a miracle could happen. You let Jesus be Jesus. Amen? You got to let God be God. If he wants to, I don't want to be that camel. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> that he yanks through the eye of that needle, but he can do it. And, and you, you take a hole in the wall that I can pull a camel through, that's not a miracle. You know? So anyway. If I got number four, you've got to hold your head up high and think of yourself no longer as, an ordinary, as ordinary because you have now been designated by your creator as extraordinary. And the last point, we're going to pray together, right? You know we have four more messages on destiny. I used to get everything I could together and to preach something in one sermon. You can't do that. I'll do six messages on destiny and we can't even cover the whole counsel of God on that one subject. <laughs> number five. Whatever God has for our destiny is valuable, and we cannot live without it. That's how important it should be to us, that we can't live without it. Once again, you may be sitting there looking at me, Pastor, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I'm going through. You know what? I probably... You know, I don't, and I probably don't want to know. You know why um, counseling for me, I limit it? Because most counseling is people sitting there want to explain to you, I'm bitter. This is why I'm bitter. And you should allow me to be bitter because my circumstances are such. And I, and I might look at them and, you know, they want me to look at them and say, you know, I'm a, I tell most people bitterness is like spiritual cancer. And you, can't be, you shouldn't be bitter. It's dangerous. Don't do it. But in your case, I see what you're going through. Uh, you have my blessing. Be bitter. It's not going to happen. 
most counseling sessions are wanting to convince the counselor that they have a good reason for being the way they are. Amen or oh me. You know, because it's one of the two, right? And so we just have to let God be God. We got to obey God. Get past that junk. Quit thinking it's okay for you to be buried in the circumstances you're buried in. And number five, like I said, whatever God has for our destiny is valuable and we can't live without it. I don't care what you're going through. You can't live without it. Let that thing replace what you're going through. Can you say amen? amen? And I can tell you right now, it's going to be impossible for you to let it happen unless you let Father help you. That's why that verse of Scripture up there said, God will sanctify you. You can't do it on your own, but you need to have a willingness to fight. If you have a willingness to fight, God will come by your side. God himself will come by your side, and he will help you. It's the only way you're ever going to be victorious. I'm so desperate in my life. I, there's not a, 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 any, you know, during the day I walk around my own home, you know, and I look at the walls, you know, I mean, I, I look at Ruthie's appliances and I get sermon illustrations. I mean, I, but I'm saying, Father, none of these things matter. None of these things matter. The only thing that matters is, what are you doing? What are you saying? How are you going to help us at Life Spring Bible Church to be pleasing to you? In, in, in all that we say and all that we do. And you know, Kathy, I'm going to tell you this. Le Pew, he's in here. And you're not facing that situation alone. And you know only God can either raise him up or take him home, you know. But you and I both know that every time we thought he, was, he, he should go home, we, you know, you think after years, you know, you think, he should go home, right? And they put him in a position where he can go home, and he fights. He fights. Sister, I believe this, and I'm with you. We're in step together. Sister, he's in there. But only God can reconnect him. God's the only one, right? And so we're just going to keep praying. We're just going to keep believing. We're just going to keep trusting God. Hey, sister, I looked at my father. And you know who I thought of? LaPue Rutledge. God doesn't love my father more than he loves LaPue, right? And he'll do the same thing for LaPue that he did for my father. I know that my father can go home and be with Jesus and we need to rejoice. LaPue could go home and be with Jesus and we could rejoice. We, you know, I'm telling you, I go by there. It isn't like we have a conversation, but I go by there. I have communion in his presence. I pray with him. I, I take his hand, you know, his arm. I lay my hand on his arm. And I say, LePew, I know you can hear me. Brother, I'm praying for you. There's people praying for you. I'm encouraging you. God could take him home, you know. And, but my father's still here. After he died, you know, he had a heart attack, died. They ran in there and did all their... You know, they, it was radical. Brought him back. Now he's getting his potassium up and going to rehab and going home. My point is, LePew's still alive. 
He still breathes. He won't quit. He won't give up. And I'm telling you, I need and you need all of the brothers and sisters we can get to bind together in prayer, come against the powers of the devil that are trying to keep that man in the dark, right? And he's a man that, that knew the Word of God, knew, knew Christ. Hey, we're praying for a Christian, you know, to be raised up from his bed of affliction. That's what I'm calling it. He's in a bed of affliction. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be a prisoner in your own body? Saul falling in love with him, falling in love with Le Pew, you know. And I'm asking God, Father, will you do the same thing for Le Pew that you did for my dad, you know? I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart that if enough Christians will reach out to God and touch the heart of God, it'll make a difference. Amen? Is the Word of God making a difference in your life?